In every generation, the church is gifted with a few influential leaders, dynamic voices that emerge and leave an indelible mark on countless lives with the gospel. Pastor John, this would include you in our current era. However, as you well know, all such leaders eventually exit the stage. A harsh reality we faced this spring, and this void left by such leaders can evoke fear about the church's future. An anxiety put to words by Natasha from Jacksonville, Florida, in her email to you. Pastor John, your ministry has built my and my husband's faith for the last 20 years, she writes. We adopted three girls from Liberia inspired to not waste our lives. I've always felt so much encouragement in my walk knowing I'm part of a larger body of Christian believers and leaders. My problem is the fear that I find myself feeling over the state of the modern church. Many leaders have fallen to temptation or quit the ministry altogether. Seems very few last as long as the older generations did. When Tim Keller passed away earlier this year, I found myself worried over what leaders and what quality of leaders will take the baton in the future. I know the Lord wants me to find my hope in Him and Him alone. However, I find myself thinking negatively and would like some insight into the hope of the Christian church when the elder statesmen like yourself and Tim Keller are gone. This question has a special relevance for me because I can remember the very place I was standing on our back porch in Greenville, South Carolina, when I was 14 years old, as the fearful thought entered my mind, what will we do if Billy Graham dies? I mean, I can remember that just so clearly. It was a, it was a very powerful moment. Huh. So some of our younger listeners may not even know who Billy Graham is, right? <laughs> right. I was talking to somebody the other day. They did not know who he was. I thought, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, B- Billy Graham was the most well-known evangelical Christian in the 20th century. Um, at, as an immature, provincial 14-year-old Christian, I thought the future of Christianity hangs on the preservation of Billy Graham. So I have tasted this anxiety expressed in this question. Is there, is there a healthy, strong future for the Bible-believing evangelical church when influential leaders are passing off the scene? Now, I think I could point out some factors among the younger generation today that would be encouraging. I, I think I could do that, but I... I think it will have more lasting and deeper effect on our encouragement if I cite instead five scriptures that relate to this issue very definitely. Number one, when um, the author of the book of Hebrews said in chapter 13, verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Do you know what the very next words were out of that author's mouth after he said, remember your leaders? The next words were, Jesus Christ is the same Hmm. yesterday, today, and forever. Now, why did he do that? Why did he say that? Why was that the next thing to say after the command to remember the leaders and uh, imitate their faith. Why a promise that Jesus is the same from generation to generation 
And surely he did that to counter the fear that if leaders are passing off the scene, which they were, this is past tense in chapter 13, verse 7, they're passing off the scene, then we're going to be bereft of the kind of leadership we've, we've been used to and that we need. And to remedy that fear, the writer says, actually, Jesus will be there and he will be the same. He will do what needs to be done. Number two, when Elijah was despairing over the condition of Israel in his own day, he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. That's 1 Kings 19.10. Now, the Apostle Paul picks up on Elijah's despairing words and asks in Romans 11 if in his own day God had rejected his people the way Elijah feels like is over for, for Israel. And he quotes Elijah's words, but then he writes, but what does God reply to Elijah? God's reply is, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. From which Paul concludes, so too at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Romans 11, 2 through 5. And the key words are, I have kept for myself. So God never leaves the fate of his people to mere chance or to the vagaries of human history and the rise and fall of leaders, even Christian leaders. He does the keeping of his people. Third, the existence of godly leaders in Christ's church are Christ's gift to the church. Christ's gift to the church, not history's gift, not the church's gift, not fate's gift. Christ gives leaders. They don't just happen. They are Christ's appointment, not the mere work of man. So Ephesians 4.11, Christ gave shepherds and teachers to the church to equip the saints. Acts 20.28, elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit set you, etheta in Greek, tithemi, set you, put you as overseers. The Spirit did that. Man didn't do that. Colossians 4.17, say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you received from the Lord. The Lord gives the ministry. Luke 12.42, the Lord said, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? The Lord sets managers over his household. This is not a mere human thing. It's not a mere matter of the, the ebb and flow of history. The Lord of history appoints leaders. So our role 
is Matthew 9.38. The harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the church, the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of the mission, the Lord of the world. Send out laborers into your harvest. That's what we should be praying. And we usually just restrict that text to missionaries. It means anywhere there's some initiative needed to harvest and to grow the church, pray it down. Number four, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So ultimately, the perseverance and the strength of the church is owing to the will of the sovereign Christ, not to his leaders, but to Christ himself, who uses leaders and raises them up. We must always look finally to him. And then fifth, when we read the history of the kings of Israel, one of the things that stands out is the quality, the faithfulness of the kings, and how it does not depend on who their father was. Hmm. In other words, a very bad king may have a good son, a good king may have a bad son. So, godliness in the line of Judah's kings may skip a generation or two. Now, this, you might feel this is pessimistic because I am suggesting that can happen in the evangelical church. But the fact that God is in control of that, and this has happened many times before, means there's always a future. For example, Jotham was a good king, not a perfect king, but Second Kings 15.34 says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But his son Ahaz was a wicked king. But his son, Hezekiah, was a faithful king. But his son and grandson were wicked kings, Manasseh and Ammon. But Ammon's son, Josiah, was a good king. What this implies is that the godliness of leadership in one generation is no guarantee of the godliness of the next generation. Hmm. But more hopeful is the other implication. The ungodliness of leadership in one generation is no guarantee that the next generation will be ungodly. I've seen this. I've seen this in the church today. Just when you think that the sources of faithful leadership have all gone astray, faithful leaders come out of nowhere. Hmm. This, this is what God loves to do. In fact, this is precisely why he chose to make Abraham and Sarah the parents of all future godly leadership, because it was humanly impossible. Abraham was too old. Sarah was barren. All hope of godly leadership coming out of their loins was futile. It wasn't going to happen. But Paul makes it crystal clear what God was doing, and he knew what he was doing. God, he says, made the promise to Abraham. He gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. There it is. So, maybe the word to close on on this issue of leadership 
If you look around and you wonder, will there be faithful pastors and leaders to come? And you don't see what you want to see? Remember, God calls into existence things that do not exist. Yeah, amen. God sovereignly reigns generation by generation. Thank you, Pastor John. And uh, your Billy Graham mention here reminds me of the story you told about when you first met him. You reminisced on the encounter and his life, his impact on you, and your fears for the future of the church when Graham would be gone. All of that you shared, ironically, on the day Billy Graham passed away in 2018. We titled that episode, On the Day Billy Graham Died. You can find it in the archive at askpastorjohn.com. Well, speaking of life after loss, next time, Andrea, a broken woman who recently lost her husband to pancreatic cancer, seeks guidance from Pastor John on how to navigate the long process of returning back to a normal life. Despite holding on to the Word of God and receiving support from friends, she's struggling to move on. How do we return to normal life after tragedy? That's up next. I'm your host, Tony Renke. We'll see you Thursday.